Dave and waiting Sid. in the waiting room. We need Damn. a theme for David the. Sid. This is a theme for the waiting room. Hello, the waiting room. Dan got a Davidson. We need a theme I'm for the waiting room. The building. Well, you guys got a backdrop and everything. Maybe. It might just be a big green wall. It's just an illusion. I know. I like I like a good illusion. How's it going, man? Oh, that's less impressive, guys. Oh. There it is. <laughs> there, we got to set the bar a little lower off the get-go. Now we can know where to go. Below. I like it. <laughs> how are you guys? Good. How about you? Real good. Everything is hunky-dory over here. I'm just uh, playing guitar, getting ready to figure out how to play these songs live, nice. get on the tour. And nice. is this a, uh, this is a home studio that you're in right now? Yeah, this is what I like to call Studio B. I, <laughs> I have I have my real studio downtown, but this is like down in the basement here at my house, just pajama studio. And is this in Edmonton? This is in St. Albert, Alberta. Oh, nice. In St. Albert. Okay, okay. Nice. very cool, very cool. Right on. Home yeah. of the Grant Fuhr Arena? Is that St. Oh, Albert? No, that, no, that'd be Spruce Grove. Oh, Spruce Grove, <laughs> right. Okay. We're, we're Mark Messier over here. Right. Oh, no. Moose. That's right. It's the Moose. Yeah. That's right, 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 right. <laughs> Pretty close. I got my Edmonton burbs all confused. So what's the process yeah. for you in uh, figuring out how to play your music live? Well, uh, it's so funny because there's three guitar players in the band. Like, mm. I play most of the set, um, but it's just, first of all, figuring out who's going to play what, and then figuring out what I can play and sing at the same time without screwing up. <laughs> and, and, yeah, so it's 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 a little bit of a process. And then it's, like, going through and making sure you, all your sounds are right for the different songs. Like, it's... I got this crazy digital amp modeler thing that I use, um, so I don't really need an amp on stage, but I have to go through each song and like program it perfectly so it sounds like guitar. <laughs> now, was there any road testing of these? Because you had been playing a lot of shows over the summer, so have you snuck a few of them in here and there? Yeah, yeah, we've been playing um, the current single, He Met a Girl. We've been playing that one lots, and uh, If These Streets Could Talk, we've played a couple times. I don't think I think that's it. Just the two of them so far, oh, wow. but we're sneaking in another couple on on this run here. So it's uh, it's gonna be a little bit of work, but we got rehearsals tonight and tomorrow, so we'll figure it out. How confident are you in the results of of this current process when you actually do get to those shows? Like, are you stepping um, on stage, running through set, and yeah, I figured everything out. I'm totally prepared. Or are you still working through it during the tour? Uh, it seems like sometimes things change like once in rehearsal it's fine because it's you know we're it just sounds like garbage in a rehearsal room because it's just loud and everyone's standing on top of each other but when you get on stage and we get our monitors on and everything you kind of kind of tweak and be like you know what we should do tomorrow you should play this part i'm not going to play on this song and or whatever things like that and we just kind of start tweaking that way and sometimes like when things change for a live version of the song too sometimes it's like the recording is nice but to, to make it really dynamic live you gotta switch up some parts and experiment a little bit so yeah they typically evolve a little bit um but hopefully we you know the the goal is to work most of that out in rehearsal and just be feeling like it's uh riding a bike when you get out there I'm trying to remember i just heard an interview with somebody it was a big band i want to like I want to say it was maybe a metallic interview or something but anyways it's talked about a tour that they went on and somebody from usa today came out and reviewed the very first show of the tour mm. and it was a terrible review and they were like don't come out and review the first two or three shows it takes a little bit of time to get everything kind of dialed in and working properly is that fair or should it like hit the ground running and the first show should be every bit as polished as the last that's a good question 
I mean, that's the goal for sure, you know, but you, you don't know until you do. And sometimes yeah. you got to get out there and start rolling on it. But yeah, I mean, if, if it was me, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather have somebody review the last show after we've done it 20 <laughs> times. But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, it's an obsession too, like making a set list and making, making it flow. You know, we're, we're looking at like BPMs and, and where the special moments are and making sure that if we do with something that's familiar to the crowd, we're spreading those things out and, and uh, so there's there's an art that goes into making a set, and you know, an intro is so important, and interludes, and like crowd participation moments, and, and how how you end the set, and how you come back to do an encore. You got it. It's just like so many little things to plan. What you're gonna say, like that's that's a huge part. It all looks like it's off the cuff, but I usually have like one or two words on my set list that point me in the direction of a good thing to say at this point in the show, and things like that. Do you tend to like maybe over overthink things sometimes? Like with all of that planning and preparation, it feels like there'd be an opportunity to maybe overthink and you got to step back and go, you know what, this is good. Totally, yeah, it, that's a thing. I mean, there used to be a time where I would write like crazy notes and tape them to the stage, and then I would just find like not like jokes wouldn't land and things just felt stiff. So now it's just I'll put like the odd word that's like, yeah, maybe talk about this here, just like one word that that makes my brain go like, oh yeah, this is a good moment for this, but. Um, but it's nice. It's so nice to be like to have a bit of a guide map, but also to be reactive to what's going on right. in the room because it's you got to play off people. You got if something s screws up, and you know a lot of people say like nothing can ever go wrong on stage, but I I think it's hilarious, and I I like to you know make moments out of those mistakes or if you know. I'm not a, a guy. That, I'm not a guy that's never fallen off stage before. <laughs> own so, it. <laughs> yeah, you got to own it. That's it. You just got to find those ways to 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 make it a moment for the crowd that they felt like they were there too. Did you ever deal with with uh, like issues going on stage? Because like based on what I've read about the start of your music career, especially with Tupelo Honey, you guys were playing in front of insane audiences right off the bat. Yeah, like, well, back then, I, when the band started, when the rock band started, I was just, uh, I was playing guitar, rhythm right. guitar and doing backup vocals. And so I didn't, re you know, I didn't really have a whole lot of experience being the guy with the microphone at Fair. the front of the stage. Uh, and I never, in, like, growing up, I, I hated speaking in class. So it was just, I okay. never really liked being the center of attention. But now it's like my entire job, which yeah, is completely right strange. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's there's there's definitely some fears. I think my first show singing with Tupelo Honey was scary, even though I'd played show. You know, we'd we'd already done arenas with like Bon Jovi and Shinedown and Three Days Grace and all these things. But it, the first time singing was probably eight hundred people, six hundred people, something like that, and it was it was terrifying because you you know the thing I found out on my very first show is is how your voice is like a it's a muscle you have to work out just like at the gym. Like you can't sing for an hour every night without never doing it before. You know, you have to figure out how to do that. And that's, that's been a huge part of my life for the last 10 years is just making sure that you can get through, you have the tools to fix your voice when it sucks and, and you have to learn how to roll with it if you're sick. And yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. What were some of the tools that you use? Like the difference between getting prepped to go on stage as a guitarist background vocalist to how you would get prepped to go on as the front man. Yeah, I mean, I'd never prepped when doing the backup vocals. I would just drink whiskey and go on stage. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I was just, you know, it was just a lot of yelling. And if I if I lost my voice, it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. But now it's like, if I lose my voice, it's a nightmare. That's it's like show. things 
Yeah. So, you know, I got to I got to be a little bit careful with uh, overdoing it. The biggest thing I found that that can hurt a singer is just hanging out after yeah, like right. talking over loud music at the bar. And how many and, times uh, have we had this conversation yeah. on this podcast? It's crazy. Very. Common. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that's what kills me. And the next day it, it'll hurt. But I, I took a my very first vocal lesson ever this year and it was great just getting some recorded warm-ups and cool downs is another thing I, I never thought to do but that really helps a lot it's yeah it's it's funny you know it's little things i always thought was just voodoo and and like kind of urban legends and you know old wives tales kind of things or, or have some legitimacy to it especially warming up and cooling down but hydrating and sleep i know it's it's the worst thing to tell somebody because how do you like i can't control my sleep i'm the right. worst sleeper in the world <laughs> and, we're tour, and it's so. not very rock and roll either right i gotta i gotta <laughs> yeah. get my nine hours exactly yeah you do bring up a good point that i don't think about enough in that you know especially to venue like bows and red deer there's plenty of opportunity for an artist who's willing to engage with their fans or or the uh attendees yep. before or after the show for sure um and of course with that i think there's tons of fans that would be a little bummed out or disappointed if they didn't get that shot in a venue like bows but it is important to remember often after a set they're sweaty tired yeah who knows how well, they feel about their set. It's not, not necessarily always the best time. And like you said, they might actually need some legitimate, like full-on vocal rest. I was going to say, the other thing too is, as we just learned with a pandemic not that long ago, you mm. want to limit some of those interactions because yeah. you've got X amount of shows still to cover and you know, have no yeah, idea yeah. who you're... You've got obligations. You've got obligations. <laughs> it's funny. Who's giving like, you pink eye that night? <laughs> <laughs> you talk about... Um, you know using the vocal coach and getting into some of those things it seems like you really have to uh like experience it and realize i need to do this it's probably been said people have said it for years yeah you need vocal training is good ah no but it's something you have to learn on your own i even think of like gore downey towards the that last tour that they did he finally realized to put the scarf around his his neck while they were touring to keep his his vocal cords right. warm like gore downey mm -hmm. didn't learn that until their last yeah. tour or start doing that at least until the last tour so i feel like it's kind of you, you just people will tell you all through your career take care of it but until you really learn and go through it it's like our hearing yeah oh totally yeah. yeah hearing is another thing too or and just like there's so many little factors like having a bad monitor mix that's either too quiet so you're singing too loud or just blasting your head off and then your ears are ringing for a couple days you know it's it's uh yeah, you know, there's there's so much to think about, and you can only do so much. But <laughs> I think I think a lot of it too is is keeping all that in mind, making some good habits, but also mm -hmm. just not stressing. Like right. the more I stress, the more I suck, and that's uh, that's that's the thing that you got to get used to is just like you can only do what you can do, and then once it's beyond your control, you just got to make the best of it. What about the change in vocal style from singing more rock to country? And I always heard that country is a little bit tougher on the vocal cords than any other genre. I don't I don't think so. I think it was way harder in rock. Yeah. <laughs> like tenfold. <laughs> but uh yeah, cuz like country I'm in my lower part of my range for at least part of the show. And um but yeah, I mean, I guess in rock there's there's a little bit of a give there cuz you can be scratchy and just like make it make it about the energy and in 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 country I guess they listen maybe a little bit harder to the vocals. Yeah. Um but I, I found that like, you know, it's so funny switching over from Tupelo. I, I I don't feel like we're doing all that much different. Like, and there's two of the guys from Tupelo Honey that are still with me in the country stuff. And uh, yeah, like we feel like it, nothing's changed in, in some ways. 
when I first switched over, I, I went to go see Dallas Smith play opening for Florida Georgia Line, and we went to his after party, and and, and this is before I even started doing country music, and and he was kind of like, hey man, what you should do this, like this is it feels the same, and you know it's <laughs> like it's just put slap a banjo on the band and change the mix a little bit, and, and I was like, oh that's interesting, and he's like, yeah man, like you know you, you got the right kind of look and you got the right voice for it and then i was like yeah dan davidson that sounds like a pair of jeans <laughs> i'll have a dan davidson in a size 30. <laughs> so it's yeah it just kind of felt natural and honestly the more i started writing and performing I, I started to fall into something that felt me and that's that's what i figured out really helps in country music it's like they can sniff out the fans can sniff out something Posers. that doesn't feel yeah they, mm -hmm. that doesn't feel natural yeah. like if it's somebody just putting on like a like a show as somebody else it's it comes across so i just figured like i'm just gonna do my version of this and uh it seems to be working i, I think that like personality kind of always wins in the end when it comes to the music definitely have, have you always embraced country music you raised in alberta it's not always some a guarantee for an albertan to love country music but is i never i never like? thought i never thought i'd end up doing country music for a living for sure i was uh i was because i was just a rock and roll kid like okay. I, it was always there in in the zeitgeist for me like you know doing my parents are both from northern manitoba so we'd always do the long trek out there every summer and, and in my dad's car it was you know it was always willie nelson and lyle lovett and blue rodeo and the eagles and so it's kind of like this like there was always this sort of country side of the things that yeah that crept into my formative years and uh, so it's always been there and I just didn't think I really realized how much it was a part of my musical DNA until I, you know, I got into my rock career. Mm -hmm. I got, I kind of, what brought me into country music was just being a guitar player and seeing how great the musicianship is yeah. and, mm -hmm. and how clean they all play. Impossible so to ignore. Oh my God. And so Tyler, my guitar player and I just started getting really into like Brad Paisley playing and, and then, you know, you just, one thing leads to another and. And all of a sudden, your Spotify is filled with country songs. So, <laughs> I think there's always uh, been a little bit of a connection between the the two genres, right? Like even well, some of the bands you mentioned, like the Eagles and Blue Rodeo, definitely have a rock side to them. And I was just watching a, a documentary about '80s rock the other day, and it talked about, um, you know, how mostly Nirvana gets the credit for kind of killing that '80s style of rock. Um, but the host of the show was like, it wasn't grunge; it was another G word. It was Garth. Yeah. And I thought about it, and I mean, honestly, there was a really big switch. Like even at the time that grunge kicked in. Garth was, you know, making a lot of noise then as well. And there's a lot of rock fans from the 80s that I know, Example inc a. including myself, that kind of switched over and started following. I remember seeing ACDC and Garth Brooks about a month apart. Oh, wow. In oh, my God. 91. And I was like, well, that's, they're the same show. Like, it's this is the same that's thing That's the going thing, on. right? That's what Garth did is he brought the rock and roll show to country right. and he made it have that larger than life feeling. And uh, and that stuck around and that people love that, man. So I, I think there's an energy that that exists in all these genres that that uh has i don't know it, it just it's it's a connecting fiber and that i think people want to see when they go to a live show one other thing that i love about country it seems and it might be there in in the other genres as well but and i know you've been on like a lot of writing camps uh you know going to nashville going to i think that the dominican you had a writer yeah camp. like does that happen in other genres as well it seems like in country like most of the country folks i know are always collaborating and writing together yeah, it's definitely more of a thing in country. I feel like in rock, it's like it's a band mentality and it's kind of we write for our band and, and that's how this works. Um, but, you know, in, in my rock career, we started working with other other writers, too. Just just and I, I was nervous about it. And I had that like us against the world kind of thing until we started doing it. 
then you start thinking like, okay, this is just like, I'm not losing a percentage. I'm gaining a percentage of something that didn't exist before. And mm -hmm. if we don't use it, we don't use it. So it, it, it really opened my horizons too, just figuring out how other people approach things and, and what, you know, lyrical styles and melodic approach people have that I don't have. Um, and that helped me a lot, but in country music, yeah, like you're right. Like these camps, that's not really a thing I ever did in rock, you know, but, but country led me to signing a publishing deal and it, it's, it's funny because now I'm writing for more styles than I've ever written for. I'm writing for K-pop and urban and, you know, rock and yeah, all this stuff. It's, it's, you know, I'll tell you one thing though, being a, a guy in his late thirties from the suburbs of Canada and, and writing K-pop for a 14 year old <laughs> Korean girl is definitely an exercise in creativity. But maybe a tease of the third iteration of Dan Davidson's music career. Oh, yeah. I'm coming back as a, as a teen K-pop sensation. D-Days. So how much K-pop would we find on your uh, your playlist? Yeah, you must have been listening to a lot. You know, I, it comes in spurts. It's it's a funny thing. It's like one of these genres where they they cram so much music, like so many influences into one song. And there's such like a laundry list of things that have to go in. Like when I get a brief from one of these K-pop labels, it's like we need uh, it has to have some classical music harmony in it. And we have to have a rap section. It's got to have a dance breakdown. It's got to have parts for five singers. And it's got to be, you know, it's like, oh, my God, the chaos pop. <laughs> it's and usually they're like and we need it by thursday i'm like oh man <laughs> so that's the that's the writer for pitch life are we gonna hear any of those k-pop tracks uh, on this tour you know what I, I don't think i'm gonna put them in the set this time around but it could be the pump-up tune that gets played right before yeah. you come on stage yeah, yeah, yeah. right <laughs> like what the hell were i thought we were at a dan davidson show and he learned korean really fast <laughs> um so music has been a career for you for you know some time now um, when you yeah. guys put Tupelo Honey together, you were at Grant McEwen in Edmonton? Yeah, yeah. I met most of the guys there. And um, as soon as we got out of school, we just kind of started working on this band. At first, we were the backup band for like a local folk singer and, and kind of we, we all hated the music and we just had a good time drinking beers and hanging out. So that uh, led to us kind of writing some stuff. And we won this competition locally in St. Albert. And there was a guy in the audience who booked for stage 13 which is you know it was the rock and roll big valley at the time and so they're like okay so you got a you got a 45 minute set in three weeks at stage 13 <laughs> opening for vince neal uh how many songs do you have and we're like we got two so <laughs> we had to write a, a set essentially in three weeks and that was like the craziest hardest working three weeks of my life and we pulled it off and you know from there we just ended up getting an agent and this whole whole thing started it was it was a pretty wild ride Playing wicked venues in Red Deer, like the Zone back in the day. Do you remember the? Oh yeah. yeah. Where was the Zone? Uh, the Center, North End, Center Seventy Seven <laughs> in oh, the North okay, End, yeah, which yeah. I think is like a play school or something now. Mm. Big difference. <laughs> yeah, big, big difference. Uh, what was so? What what were you studying at Grant McEwen? What was Plan A or Plan? It was all, it was all music. It was we all over there. Cool. We were there to study music, and, and we did that. And two of us came out with diplomas and uh <laughs> not all of us <laughs> but yeah we hit the road for a while and it was funny like studying music was great and it gave me some foundation and figured out like what i wanted to get out of a music career and how i hated jazz because it was a jazz school um and, but like i can't tell you how much more i learned just by hanging out with guys that were better players than me and having to do it every day mm -hmm. and just like having some discipline it was it was uh it's like rock and roll university rock and roll 101 with but the added we did benefit that for of theory 
Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Now, now those writing camps are a lot easier to you than than some of those without diplomas, I'm sure. Totally. And, you know, walking into the country world now, like all the musicians, all the side guys are just like virtuosos and yeah. they all speak that language. You go to Nashville and it's a benefit to be able to pick up things pretty quickly without having to fumble too much. So it's it, it's definitely helped me. But between country and rock, I did go back to Grant McEwen University and got a business degree. Oh, cool. And re- realized I wasn't quite quite done with music yet <laughs> as my wife sighs were you doing jazz guitar at grant McEwen? yeah it's like a jazz program so you know but i was just like this isn't a way to make a living you can't no it's can't. not no, no it's <laughs> not it's that's what i because i tried to do music for university too and in hindsight it's like man i would have spent the next 10 years behind a timpani or xylophone or a single triangle yeah striving for one of i don't know 10 amazing orchestras on the on the continent that sounds it's crazy awful are there you're just toiling away in some stinky jazz club on the weekends but it's yeah. uh it's funny though man like it's uh, there's not many schools that focus on contemporary music but paul mccartney's got one in liverpool it's called the liverpool institute of performing arts oh, wow. and that one's all all focused on just contemporary music pop music and it's like that makes sense you go there and you figure out how to play and make music that the masses want to hear and that that's seems logical to me oh interesting now that uh taking some of that business stuff i think you've got like you really strategized on breaking out outside of canada right like it was like it feels like you had a definitive plan of what you wanted to do yeah i mean you know i I was looking at the the landscape out there and and canada's great always going to be my number one but you know I got to stay busy in the off season. I got to make sure that I got lots of fires burning. America is too crazy to take a big swing at without living there and spending eight months of the year there. It just, it, it's insane. There's so many people. The industry works a little differently down there, and of course, that's the that you know that's the NFL if we're talking in <laughs> football terms. But um, I was looking around, and Australia's got a great market that's very similar to Canada. So I I kind of started speaking with promo people down there, and and they're kind of saying you know like come down here promote your music but don't do it unless you're going to commit to being here and being in the market and touring so i was like okay let's let's do it and and being an independent artist i can make as many financially irresponsible moves as i want to (laughs) but yeah i I gave it a shot for a year i went down and i've released some music i'm like the first song i released went top 10 down there so it really started something and you know i went down for the second time in august and it was crazy. Like there's there's fans singing along to songs they have no business singing along to, and I've already been booked to come back for a third tour in Australia this summer. Um, so yeah, or this spring, I guess. So it's it's pretty wild, and and all the while, you know, kind of tinkering around in Europe a little bit too. And Europe's a little different. Like yeah. <laughs> it's people in Europe are country fans because they like line dancing, not the other way around. Oh. I was gonna say Australia, I think, has traditionally had a little bit more of a country flavor to it, right? Whereas yeah, the UK, and they're part- you, don't, you don't think of the UK as a as a country market, not especially. No, like Australia is like parties, like they're like party people down there, but uh, in the UK, it's very. It seems like they, well, most of their local artists anyway are very singer songwritery. Like mm-hmm. it's that they're they're still kind of coming into it, but they have this massive festival called the C two C, which I played last year, and you know it's like Zach Brown Band will be there or whoever Carly Pierce or something, but. So it's it's big, and and they're starting to really dig in. It's going to be a great market for country in the future. But most of the time I spend in Europe is in France, actually. 
So it's big, huge line dancing community there. And it's all, it's, it's all very <laughs> underground. It's like punk rock. You know, it's like the people that care really care. But other than that, it's hard to like find, you know, just country music out in the general zone. But man, like the first time I went, we were sound checking and there was like 800 people doing a line dance. It looked like a military demonstration <laughs> in the sound check. It was just nuts. So that's why you tour in Europe is to facilitate yeah. dancing. Yes, and it's a great tourcation. It's a great way to yeah, just no <laughs> to, to do something fun, get paid, and, and take my friends on a little holiday. Now, I don't. You probably didn't in Ontario, but in high school, did you have line dancing classes in gym? Yeah, okay. yeah, Cadillac yeah. Ranch. Cadillac Ranch. Every, yep. Everybody had to do it, and then there was like the awkward, uh, like partner dancing song. It was probably. Like Lone Star or something yeah. was the song, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm guessing you did not have no, that in Ontario. No, we had some schools. Blue Jay bullshit thing that they did that made us do in like grade one or two, but there was no group, definitely no line dancing. No group line dancing, okay. Yeah, I figured no. that would be an Alberta thing. Would have oh, actually yeah. been maybe a talent I could have taken into <laughs> my adult years, but no, we, were, we weren't given that. Although I'm, I would not be surprised if line dancing is entering the Ontario education scape because country music is insanely popular out there right now. Is it really? More popular than I ever remember it being. 15 years ago but oh really i that's because was there I not for the longest time was there not there wasn't a country station in toronto proper right i remember listening my buddy and i were listening to the uh, hamilton country station the day it died yeah like the moment oh, no way. it died one day it was shocking but yeah no it's like they've got some insane country music festivals out there now it's, right oh it's big like I, yeah, Alberta and Ontario are kind of the place to be for, yeah. for country. There's just so many people in Ontario that it's it's easy to tour, you know? Like, you don't <laughs> really leave a city between Oshawa and St. Catharines. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you're talking about the Australians loving the party, so let's get into the uh, – do you call it an EP or an album? We're, we're right at, like, at seven songs. So is it LP, EP? What are we – I, I, you know, I don't even know. I don't, whatever, whatever it qualifies for at the Junos, we'll call it an album. Yeah, perfect. Like it has to be like 25 minutes and you can call it an album, but it's an EP, you know, it's like, it's a, you know, I think it's six songs, but it's, it's funny that that's a thing. I just like to do six songs because it feels like a nice amount that uh, is a unit and you don't have to just like have filler songs. You yeah, know what right? I mean? Yep. But this is an interesting one for me because, you know, typically I just do single, single 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 slap them on an album and put it out but this time around it's like okay i'm gonna do an album i'm gonna call it this this is the direction i'm gonna write for this and it's all gonna feel like a cohesive unit we're gonna put it out and have just a lot of fun branding it which it's a very fun album mm -hmm. uh very like it's i can just imagine the old bush parties we used to have around didsbury and it's on in the background and everybody's dancing around the fires and everything like that the one thing it's 1980 something this is just an observation not a critique at all whatsoever what but 1980 something there's not like a real true like hair metal style ballad it's all it's <laughs> i mean they're all pretty up tempo which is great but i, I should have done every i should have covered every rose as been like, yeah where's the every rose yeah <laughs> Yeah. No, oh it's... man. Well, yeah. That is funny though. It's a. <laughs> I was trying. I was pulling a lot from like a lot of those, you know, Don Henley, Brian Adams yeah. kind of vibes. And uh, maybe next one I'll have to go full shredder, like she's my cherry pie kind of vibe. <laughs> well, you got a few weeks till <laughs> yeah, your show yeah, yeah. at Bose, so you, you've got time to work it into. There's uh, a cover you can throw at in. at least the Red Deer show because he'll be there. So I will be there. Perfect. I'll grow my hair as long as possible before the end of the month here, and we'll see what happens. All right, we've got that on tape. Clip that part, and uh, we'll see. <laughs> but it is, anyways, every song on there is, is a great party song. I was kind of doing the math. 
uh, on Spirit of 17, which uh, I absolutely love. And from the first time I heard that song, it stuck in my head for days afterwards, which oh, I love it when a melody does that. But I was doing the math. So 1983, the line in the song is Pearl Jam turned up to 11. Put 17 years on, that's 2000. That would have been binaural. And I can't imagine binaural was the Pearl Jam <laughs> album you were cranking up to 11. No, it wasn't in the 80s, the Pearl Jam song. I was I was like Pearl Jam Go was my, my or Pearl Jam Versus, Versus was my favorite okay. record. So okay. that was that, I was probably in like grade six or seven, probably like 96, 95. But yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, it's it's pulling from that stuff. But that song was just like, we're, let's just think back about those moments. And it, I wrote it with Tim Hicks and Jason Blaine. So those guys are a little bit older than me, but we're all kind of talking about how it felt like such a personal experience to be like 16, 17 and, and thinking about like, you know, the first time you get to take your dad's car or like mm-hmm. what it feels like to, to have your first girlfriend or whatever. And, it, you know, everyone thought that that's such a personal experience that they're going through those feelings. But the more we chatted about like our high school days, we're like, oh, that's exactly how I felt. Mm-hmm. So we're like, let's just write an anthem for that. Let's write an anthem for those memories. And, you know, it just feels like you're flipping back in your old yearbook or something like that. That must have been fun. It's you know I love that kind of stuff and and there's something about music that um that I always like Pearl Jam is a great example every time I hear that I can I can see a place I can I can remember a time very clearly and a feeling of being whatever age that was and uh that's what we were chasing on this is just finding a way to to capture that cuz I love that feeling I love those those happy nostalgic vibes that a, a song can bring you Are those rare moments where you hear a song or you someone mentions a band that you haven't thought of in years and years and years maybe even since you were a teenager discovering music yeah those are those are crazy crazy moments as rare as they happen it happened to me recently where i heard a song that i have not thought of in well over a decade and then that helped me with my next two hours then totally then the rabbit hole then you're gone for a while and some of that happened to to be recently do you remember that song in the meantime by space hog Yeah, yeah 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 Yeah, I heard that somewhere, and I was like, "Oh my god, this yeah. is this is the best song ever written." And then I just found myself like four hours later in a '90s playlist on Spotify. How do those songs disappear? I don't get it because yeah, they're those are good tunes, hey, that, but they that just that tend was to disappear. One of the best songs we played on the station as a whole, I think as you're far right. as yeah. nostalgia tracks went, I think I always loved yeah. that song. But you go through that oh. era of like and lit. My own worst enemy was right around that time, and Harvey Danger, and those are yeah. That's another great example, actually. Harvey Danger is another one I haven't thought about in yeah, 20 there years. You go. <laughs> but you have rehearsal to do. You got to figure out how to make these songs live tracks. I, I, no Harvey Danger. I feel a '90s <laughs> montage coming on yeah, the in, set. In my '80s hair metal unitard. It's great. <laughs> uh, and next up is uh, documentary. So you've got this. Yeah. The documentary is in the can and ready to go. There's a few people yeah. that have seen it. I think. Yeah, we did like a pre-screen out in Toronto for some industry folks, and it this is a crazy thing. Like we, I got a little bit of money to do this documentary, and it started out kind of as like a content grab where we just wanted to get some stuff for the record. But um, the more we got into it, we're like, this is kind of something. So it's all about finding inspiration in unlikely places, because you know, in country music, everyone's like, ah, you gotta go to Nashville, 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 and it's, ah, I guess you do, but I I want to find ways to to do something that has some personality and something that's a little different. So yeah, the, the, the story is about basically me and I would call up a songwriter friend or a producer friend and we'd fly to somewhere weird and try and soak in whatever influences we could find finding their version of country music and writing a song in that environment. 
and uh, just seeing what happened, seeing seeing if anything changed my brain as far as what I wanted to do with this album. So we did. We went out to Brooklyn and we did some stuff out in Brooklyn uh, with a friend of mine, Dave Thompson, who's, who's produced tons of hits in Canada, and he's got a cut with like Lady A and stuff. And and then we went down to. I took Clayton Bellamy from the Roadhammers, and we went down to this like forgotten town in Arizona called Wilcox, where I have a friend who's trying to set up like a trailer park Airbnb in the middle of the desert, and mm-hmm. it's like a weird, a weird sort of association with homesteading. Like he, he just kind of feels like he's out there, like he's this pioneer. It's really strange. So we went out there for for a few days, and and kind of continued the journey of figuring out how to pull creativity out of these moments. And, it ended up back in Alberta finally and, and me trying out a lot of these new songs in front of like 5,000 people at the Calgary Stampede. Um, so it was really cool. And it's just like a short half an hour thing, but it turned into a lot more than I thought it would be. So we're, we're going to get ready to release that at the end of the month. It's called Lighting Fires. It sounds amazing. Very, very cool concept. Very cool concept. Yeah. So hopefully somebody gives me more money so I can do more. <laughs> I think that's great, though, because like uh, you look at... Uh... Uh, genre like country music and if you want to be specific you can regionalize the hell out of oh that. sure you can um and you know if you're not educated you could purely say it only it only deserves to remain in the americas but i mean at the end of the day you could probably find any culture and and generate a country sounding song based on not just the culture but their own music habits yep. and traditions yeah, I mean, that, the original concept is we were going to do this in the UK and Australia and stuff, but obviously the budget didn't allow that. But uh, yeah. I, I think it's interesting, though. It's fun to talk to people and, and figure out what they're, what the connecting fibers are of, you know, what the country values are. And, you know, it, essentially it's, a, it's American folk music, but I think mm-hmm. there's a version of that no matter where you go. So it was, it was fun to fun to try and, and, and figure it out. And it did, it did actually change my – it asked me – it made me ask myself a lot of hard questions about this record. Like, am I pushing too far? Is this too weird to brand this as an 80s thing? And um, But at the end of the day, like, I found a lot of reassurance just playing the songs, just getting in front of people and seeing what they thought about it. And it ended up kind of just reaffirming my, my creative choices and felt great. And where's it going to be available when it comes out? I think we're gonna get it out online. Like we're we might do some screening parties in some local markets just yeah. for for fun. Um, but it's gonna be mostly on YouTube, and we're gonna be cutting it up and putting it into little chunks on on Instagram and TikTok and things like that too. It's funny you bring up the you know another content piece, and I just saw I think it was something that I think Gord Bamford had shared it on his page. I don't know if you saw it within the last week, but it was from another artist who had talked about the challenge of coming up with content consistently and all the time and how hard that is on artists and how you do need to take that step back and just get away to be creative again is that like yeah. would you agree with that how draining it is to constantly be churning stuff out to stay uh you know kind of in the forefront and on top of people's minds yeah i read that post actually and i couldn't agree more like i, I think that that it is weird that you know, people are just putting out more content instead of better content and um i guess that's I, I i have a bit of a problem with tiktok for that it's just i don't know there, there's just a lot of noise out there now mm-hmm. and it's hard to cut through and, and you have to participate in it i mean we can't just not or else you're just going to get left in the dust but um yeah I, I i find it hard like just making just making my attitude not bitter towards the change and in the landscape because it, it it happens right like generationally it's, it's a, that's a thing that we're always the artists are always going to have to deal with but at the same time I, I do agree with the principle that i would way rather it be better music and better 
content and art out there rather than just more because it's the world we're living in for sure and then shame it's an impossible race well it's impossible totally and if you want to do it effectively then you're you you turn into a robot you have to you have to have a post of this kind on this day between these hours and it's not mm-hmm. just, you know, Five, you think six, seven days a week if you want this thing to trust your product and promote it more. It's and a lot of the crazy. people who are, are doing it, like yourself, are independent. So it's not like there is a massive team behind it yeah. that can go and throw all that stuff like you have yeah. to do it. Yeah, and it's it's and, you know, that's why I guess you see so many young people just exploding for a song and then going away is because yeah. They have the time to do it. Like I've got so much stuff to manage in my career that I, I can't just be sitting there doing that all day long because it's I honestly just don't have the time to do it. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a funny game. It's just you know, like I was saying before, just trying to lean into the personality side of things and ho- and hope that kind of carries some weight and do what you can do. But yeah, it's 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 frustrating for sure. There's yeah. there's a few people out there that get super famous. And I'm just like that's that's what kids care about, hey. <laughs> for a very short amount of time yeah, and then exactly. they're going to go care about something else right so it's yeah it's a, a tough thing to to kind of maneuver you do a great job of it i mean your personality is so fun so all of the all the stuff you're throwing out there is just it always puts a smile on my face so i respect oh, the hell of that perspective yeah too. yeah it's i like don't super refreshing actually. there's no hint of bitterness in there at all whatsoever you can tell like again Dan's the type of guy I'd like to go sit down and have a beer with, and we just uh, probably have a good chat. <laughs> November twenty seventh. November twenty seventh. We can we can Bose have that beer. Bar and stage. Oh, I wanted speaking of Bose. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the you you were just here for the Canadian national anthem uh, contest. Uh, yeah, I got to judge that. that whole thing. What, That's right. Oh, what's that like? I mean, is there a harder song in the world to do than your own anthem? Yeah, the American anthem is the hardest yeah. anthem to sing. It's, <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I got a story for you about that. I, like, I used to be the backup s- anthem singer for the Oilers, right. so I, I did like 10 or 12 games or something. But the first time I ever did the American anthem, it was against the Penguins, I think. And like Connor McDavid was behind me, Sidney Crosby's in front of me, oh. and the song started. And it was like I screwed up in the sound check. They, they never give you a sound check, but they gave me a sound check that day, and I screwed it up. So I was just like living in my head for hours, just mm-hmm. like, I'm going to screw this up. This is going to be the worst day of my life. I'm going to be on Sportsnet forever. And uh, I went and started singing the, like the, oh, say, and then I came to, like I, my head just fuzzed out, and I came to, and I was finishing Oh Canada, and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> did I get any of this right? And, Apparently everybody loved it. It was fine. Like the thing with the anthem is there is no, when you're singing an anthem at a hockey game, there is no upside. Like you either sing it and people, you sang it well enough that people forget you right away and the game starts. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Right. Or you screw it up and you're on sports and that for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or something miraculous happens. Your mic stops working and the crowd just has to take over. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look like a moment for some reason. Uh, Yeah. So how do the contestants do it? Bose? How, how, like, how do you judge on that kind of thing? They did great. Well, they, they everybody sang a couple songs, and then we picked three people to to sing the like the O Canada part, the, the, that competition. And there were so many great local singers down there, man. Like I was really impressed with the, some of the people that came out. I think uh, in the end, it was um, Ryan Lanois, formerly from the Boom Chucka Boys, and uh, um, Quinn River. I think she's a young girl, really promising. I think she could be something really great. 
And then who was the other one? Lindsay Butler. And she's kind of got this like old world. She's like a real country girl. So uh, they, they all get a chance to, to sing an anthem at the CFR. And yeah, man, I just had a good time. I hadn't been down to Bose. So they asked me to come down and judge. And I wanted to see the venue and and, cool. and, and meet Brennan down there. And we just had a great night. The food is awesome. The place looks great. You know, I got a chance to, to scope out the stage a little bit where we're going to be on the 27th. And it's gonna be a good time. That's well, an awesome spot you guys have. It's gonna look yeah, even we're very lucky. It's gonna look even better by the time you're here because Christmas is about to throw up all over that room. It'll right. be fully I, decked out. The, I'm sure you were told. Oh, I heard it's a big thing down there. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. It's big is an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm super curious. <laughs> now you're prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe throw in a little Christmas montage into that. So we need a '90s montage. Yeah. Maybe a little Christmas montage, and then Christmas, start start with the K-pop. 90s. 80s oh, Christmas, K-pop, and mix them, maybe mix them all together. Yeah, okay, maybe. you've got oh, your work cut out for you, Dan. <laughs> That's a lot of homework. <laughs> <laughs> i got to get down to it here. All right, we look forward to seeing you in uh, a couple weeks here in Red Deer. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for the chat. It was great to hang today. Thanks for hanging out, dude. Nice to meet you. All right, you too. We'll talk Peace. soon. See you, man. See ya.